Welcome to the Salem Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria L. Johnson, and I'm here with Latoya Peterson. Hello, hello. Hey, Latoya. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. I'm going to tell people a little bit more about you so they know who we're talking to. Um, You're the co-founder and chief experience officer of Glow Up Games, and the company recently created and published an official game for the HBO series Insecure called Insecure the Come Up Game. Hey, Latoya. (laughs) Yes, well, yes. Um, glad to be here and super enthused again to just connect with other Sailor Moon fans because that has definitely been a, an extremely influential uh, show in my life. So thank you for inviting me and so happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for saying yes to coming on the show. And yes, you're absolutely in the right place because like definitely obviously love Sailor Moon, but like love Insecure, love games. So I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Um, but first question I like to ask every guest is what is your first memory of watching Sailor Moon? Uh, so my first memory of watching Sailor Moon was, uh, old school with, you know, the original television, <laughs> pre, pre-streaming, pre-everything yes. and waking up on Saturdays. And I think the first image I saw, I was just like flicking something. And I think the first image I saw was like this Luna. It was this like black cat with a moon on her head. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And then looking at the show, and I remember initially I'm watching the show and uh, they were calling her Serena at that time for the dub. And I was like, man, this kid Serena is a jerk. She just cries all the time. What kind of show is this? Right? Um, but then I kind of got sucked in and just really got into the world and the crystals and all sort of cool, just, just, just all the cool imagery and all the stuff that, um, you know, makes Sailor Moon Sailor Moon and just got super obsessed with it. And uh, started watching it. So I watched everything I could. But again, back then, I'm trying to remember if it was 90s, early 90s, like, you know, you had to wake up on Saturday morning whenever it was on in your market. And that was it. You got that 30 minutes and <laughs> you just had to hope. And then it felt very abrupt, like when it ended. I don't remember exactly what happened, but it just felt like I was like, hmm, I feel like it's not finished, but I guess it's off air. And then as it turns out, it wasn't. So um, flash forward to. You know, me being an 18, newly minted adult, freshly living on my own. And I happened to buy, I was trying to make a decision between buying a television and a computer. So I bought a computer, which was a very fateful decision, uh, considering how my career has gone. But I ended up buying a computer. And I was on all the torrent sites that were cool back then, like LimeWire. Because <laughs> like Napster had just gone down. But yeah, uh, LimeWire Lime was still going and stuff like that. So I was on LimeWire. And I was listening to music. And then somehow I realized I could also get shows. So I downloaded all of Sailor Moon plus Sailor Moon S plus all the other stuff and really got into the world and really got into uh, what all of this stuff means. And I was just like, woof, all right, it's Moon for some power. And then my favorite thing, and it's weird because I think, is it is it one of those, um, one of those like false memories that pops up? I always remember her uh, in the duh, in the, um, in the subtitle versions that I would watch being translated as Sailor Pretty Soldier. And that just really resonated with me for a lot. Now it's like Pretty Guardian is what you hear more often. And they say Pretty Guardian. But I always heard it as Soldier. And I just thought, like, I really love that twist of, uh, it's a little twist of gangster in Sailor Moon. So those are those are the memories. And I have just always had a place in my heart for the Sailor Scouts, for what they did uh, when I was learning um, computers and starting to really get into um other forms of art and artistic expression and music videos were big and there were some really great ones about Sailor Moon. So, you know, it just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time and a lot of good memories. 
Yeah, and that's definitely not false memory. Like, they do go back and forth with Soldier and Guardian, depending on which version you're watching. So, it's like, Sailor, Pretty Soldier, Senshi. Yeah, like, it's Sailor, Pretty like Soldier. Yeah, exactly. That exact yeah, cadence. Yeah. I was like, am I tripping? Because now every time I look, I'm like, they say Guardian. And I was like, it wasn't Guardian, it was Soldier. Like, you're a pretty soldier. It's okay to be a pretty soldier, which... Again, I think speaks to one of the reasons why I love Sailor Moon so much. You're a pretty soldier for justice, right? In the name of the moon, I will punish you. But there is this this fantastic uh, idea that you can be beautiful and be a soldier and be fighting for what you need. And especially if you get to the end of S, like, whew, that's, this, that's a rough ride. To get to yeah. I'm not 100% sure what the Netflix series is. I need to go back and look at it. Because I know they like brought over some things, but not other things. I'm always like, what, what's the piecemeal here? But when I watched all the way to the end of S, I was just like... Yeah, she's a soldier. Soldier. <laughs> that was too much for one person to go through, but you know. Yeah, that was a lot. That season is so good. Yeah, and I, and of course I, I come around to, uh, you know, you learn you learn to love Usagi, cry baby and all. You learn. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, she grows. Too. She, she yeah. grows. We grow. I mean, I was on the Ray tip definitely, where I was like, "Girl, no, like, what are you? T- get yourself together." But. um you know, over time, you learn that, you know, you got to embrace your inner Usagi, too. <laughs> it's like, and so, and uh, the fact that you can be weak and be ridiculous and be, um, sorry, that's my, that's my son. Boo-boo, you're okay. Okay. Hey. Yeah, sorry, my ba- <laughs> so I have a newborn. He is uh, five months. He's <laughs> Gabriel. Um, so you might hear him a little bit on the podcast until the babysitter gets here. But, um. <laughs> Future Sailor Moon fan. Yes, future Sailor Moon fans. Yeah, so my oldest son, Gavin, he's eight. He is just discovering Sailor Moon for the first time because he went, he was just big in the anime, got into Pokemon, and then he was watching um, Yokai and some other stuff. Like, he was all over the place. And then one day I saw him and he was like, What's this? And he's watching uh, Card Captor Sakura. And I was like, Oh, you're watching Card Captor? He's like, Well, <laughs> let mommy tell you about her favorite anime series and like put you on game yeah, we'll put you on game, baby. <laughs> and i forgot to just how like sailor moon's kind of gangster immediately <laughs> like, yeah. like it's not really like kids media now is very different where it's like they don't really kill people or anything whereas sailor moon is like people get vaporized immediately <laughs> it's evil yeah like they're gonna evaporate it yeah it's just evil evil stuff like <laughs> coming out of the closet and um I forgot it's a, it's a little intense if you're like kids media now is a lot more toned down and so my son was like woo but he's like really really into it and the, of course the transformation how could you not be right the the whole point yeah. of her transforming into Sailor Moon is what we all wait breathlessly for <laughs> like before the battle so we gotta have the transformation and it's like I said just metaphors for life now that I think about it now that I'm you know 25 years into this fandom <laughs> so I'm like wait is it 25 hold on ooh older older 35 years this year marks 30 years. This year marks 30 years of the fan. Okay, 30 yeah. years of Sailor Moon. I started watching it in the 90s. So that's probably about 9 or 10. So for me, 28. So I've been in the fandom 28 of the 30 years. Look at that. That's yeah, <laughs> wild. That's wild. Yeah. I was like, man, just thinking about, I was like, I don't believe I've been doing some stuff this long, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I don't know. It's so good. Yeah, it's a funny thing. My dad, we were talking randomly about like Queen Beryl. That's the only villain he remembers. And he was just like, what happened? She was an established villain. Queen Beryl was like yeah. the Omega for the beginning. Then they moved on, but you know. <laughs> yeah, she's like the main B. Well, you know, for most people. And then so he's just like, oh, like, what happened? He's like, they defeat her. I'm like, yeah, they defeat her. He's like, what? She like ran away or something? I'm like, no, they, they killed her. 
<laughs> yeah, no, she was did. like, what? She did, like, vaporize. It's over. <laughs> Barrel ain't coming back. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, like not, not uh, they did not shy away from it. Like, no, they, they just, they killed her. Like, she, Sailor Moon is not Batman. Um, but, um, you know, I guess we kind of talked, we talked a little bit about, like, different characters that you like, but I'm curious if you had any favorite episodes or moments from the show. Favorite episodes, favorite moments. Um, the payoff for Sailor Chibi, little Chibi Moon. Um, what's Chibi Moon's real name? Um, Me and the dub. And oh, sorry. Also, um, is this like a this is a team spoilers podcast, right? Like I'm, I'm assuming oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that if we're fans, we're like deep diving, and you know, if you haven't caught yeah. up, I'm sorry. It's thirty years. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely spoilers. Like anyone listening to this is likely a Sailor Moon fan. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's been thirty years. So yes, I was like, I was like, what is the statute of limitations on spoilers? Right, I, like, I haven't seen Macbeth. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I'm like, what do you want me to say? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, Chibi Moon, their daughter, right? Um, what was her name? What's her real name in the series? I'm forgetting the baby. Well, it's reading in the original dub, and then or in the English dub originally. And then, Depending on who dubbed it uh, and when did it come over. Yeah. Because I'm glad to, like, again, like, old anime. I feel like the kids just don't understand how much they assumed Americans did not rock with stuff that was foreign. And so, like, like, Gavin was watching, like, an old episode of Pokemon. And they called uh, Brock's rice balls donuts. And Chris was like, Gavin was like, that's not a donut. And I was like, it is very obviously not a donut. But they thought that we weren't going to be able to relate. (laughs) It's not... (laughs) and i feel like it was the same thing with like usagi versus like serena versus you know all the other stuff bunny whatever anyway um so when chibi moon gets her like evil side and she's i was like my lord what is this this is like dynasty versus sailor moon what is going on um i love the sailor starlight's arc that was a very interesting and weird i was like japanese media is very different than american like you just would never go here (laughs) like this is really cool um I always liked, like, in terms of characters, because I think that's what I remember the most, like, moments with characters. Um, I love Rey as a temple goddess, and I think that probably set up why I was such a huge Inuyasha fan later. Um, because Rey has big, well, Kagome has really big Rey energy, and Kikyo has super big Rey energy. And I was like, oh, I know this. I know this person. Um, but, you know, Rey as temple goddess, Rey as a together um artemis-like figure just always really loved her mercury i'm always i'm very bookish so i always like gravitate toward the bookish girls mercury is like one of them and sailor v who i mean obviously yeah i think my heaviest affinity is toward the originals um the romance between serena and darian it's not darian though right yeah mama Lamaru, Mamaru. There we go. Mamaru. Either one is fine though. Like I grew up on the dub. I go back and forth. Yeah, because yeah. again, it's like, am I accessing the old memory where there's Serena and Darian? Am I accessing new memories where it's Isaki and Mamaru? Like who is this supposed to be? Is he supposed to be in college? Is he in high school? Where it's like, it's like The world may never know. The world may never know. <laughs> honestly. Also, I was like, I love how it's the eighties and people are jeans weren't really a thing yet. So he's always in slacks. Yeah. Um, uh, like any other pants. Yes, <laughs> like slacks. It was always the casual slack. Mm-hmm. I also just like yeah, I liked um I liked Tuxedo Mask shade at all times. Like like I re- I forgot until we were rewatching it. We were watching it with my son, 
And I was like, wait a minute, those first few episodes, he showed up, shouted some encouragement, rolled out, left her to deal with the problems. I was like, oh my God. So yeah, I think um, the overall shadiness of Sailor Moon is definitely my favorite part of the series. Like they, no cut cards, they did not care. And I appreciated that because that is actual friendship. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't. I know, like, people make that joke a lot, and then, like, I rewatched it a few months ago also, and I was just like, wow, he really doesn't do much in those first ones. First Nothing. Like, he literally just like, to do better. You got this. Yes. Right, Throw some encouragement and roll back out. Like, she's getting choked out, and he's like, yeah, girl, go for it. Believe in yourself. <laughs> Bow out. I don't need to assist. I'm like, what did you go do after that darian did you go back to class like did you go to the arcade like what were you what did you go do? that was it he was like listen i got about 15 minutes between my last class and my next class so yeah. he's like you know college student life is rough sorry i gotta go <laughs> so it was a lot going on with that but um you know i love that one and i think um it's interesting because i think for years after i had watched the main series i was still consuming like the fan-made media so a lot of my favorite stuff is like fan stuff. And like there was this one woman who used to do a bunch of uh, anime music videos back in the day. And she did a super cut of Sailor Moon to um, this song by this old girl band called Madison Avenue called Don't Call Me Baby. Have you seen it? I don't think so. I will so. track it down for you. It's one of my favorite things of all time. But she, like she lined up all the transitions. Like if I need to go get hype, <laughs> I will watch that AMV because it's fantastic. Um, I belong to me, so don't call me baby. And she's got all the transitions like hitting at the right time. Um, there's also a really good anime music video about Sailor Saturn that's set to uh, Black Hole Sun, which is a really, really good one. But like, yeah, so like just the um, the fan-made media that captures the essence of the characters I also really resonated with. Because there was, you remember there was like that kind of like dead zone between um, when they were importing stuff and uh, when the resurgence happened. So in between that, it was the fan stuff that was keeping me going. So that's what I also think about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Those AMVAs, I think the one I remember most is, um, can't stop the moonlight. Um, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that was, that was the obvious one to Liam. Right? Can't stop the moonlight. No. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, this is so perfect. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Wait till, wait till I said this Madison Avenue one. Like again, it's so, it's from like the old, old, old internet. I might have to go on my old computer if it's, if it doesn't live somewhere else online. Cause I know I have it. Uh, but I will send it to you so you can see it. But please it's, it's my favorite one. Please, please do. And you kind of, I think, answered this already, but you went to Sailor Mars, Sailor Mercury, and Sailor Venus. Um, do you have a favorite Sailor Scout? And it could be all three. All. Or more. Okay. <laughs> okay. All. I feel like as I've, as I've gotten deeper into my fandom, you know, <laughs> um, I realized the fun mm-hmm. part of Sailor Moon is that, like, they reflect different aspects of personality. And that's, that's the fun part that they're, yeah. that some are giggly and ridiculous and some are serious and bookish and some are, you know, legend and some are, you know, uh, moody and mysterious, but it is at its core, um, what it feels like to be a teen girl, <laughs> like all of those different pieces of you. And so, you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to pick a favorite. It's kind of like being like, you know, what, what, you know, what's your favorite, uh, you know, Skittle right <laughs> i like the colors they all taste the same yeah like it could be either different things but yeah i think um if i buy merch though I'll, let me, let's do it that way if i buy merch though um i tend to buy stuff that serena and ray the most 
I don't buy a lot of Jupiter. I like Jupiter, but I don't buy a lot of Jupiter stuff. I don't buy, yeah. I'm thinking, when I think about it, the most merch I buy will probably be either Sailor Moon herself or it's Rey. So maybe that's maybe that's more of an indication. That's a really good way to go buy it. Because I feel like if someone asks me that, usually I say Sailor Moon or um, I also love Sailor Jupiter and I love Sailor Pluto. And I, I, I love everybody. It's like really bad. But... <laughs> Oh, Sailor Neptune, I think is really pretty, and like Sailor Uranus is really cool. But as far as merch, like I also like will mostly buy Pluto or Sailor Moon. So maybe those are actually my two favorites. Yeah, I feel like cause I'm like I, I can't oh, really man. pick. But I'm like, cool. if I think about what I buy, that is probably it's Ray or it's uh, Sailor Moon. Yeah, I feel like money money talks. So like, <laughs> you put your money where you want. Like those are. Look at your financial people. records. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're putting money behind these characters. So, like, clearly, they're a fave. Um, I do want to talk about you, though, a little bit. Because you're doing awesome things. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did Glow Up Games come about? Woof. How did Glow Up Games come about? Every time I saw this story, it still feels ridiculous that this actually happened. But <laughs> this is where this is how we started. So, essentially, uh, Mitu. So, Mitu is my co-founder, Mitu Kandaker. Um, and she's just this uh, badass game developer, another woman of color in the industry. So back years and years and years ago, when I was a blogger and then a writer, and I wrote about pop culture and I wrote about video game criticism, um, she started following me on Twitter and I looked and I was like, oh, another brown girl in games. I'm like, let me connect. Because at that time, <laughs> again, like this stuff feels like ancient history. But at that time, like there just weren't that many people who were openly identifying as uh, women who are really into video games, like a lot of my friends are, but it's like, you know, we intentionally tried to find each other. Like one of my best friends, I met on Friendster, literally typing in my zip code and girls in video games. Like literally, that's how we met. Um, I love it. And so, you know, so anyway, so I friended Mitsu on Twitter. We were friends for uh, virtually for a little while. And then she moved to New York and started teaching at NYU where some of my other friends teach. Um, and so we were introduced and then we became brunch buddies. We were hanging out. You know, just drinking, talking shit, hanging out with our friends, stuff like that. Um, ended up introducing her to her now husband. We just married them not too long ago. Um, but, um, you know, just hanging out. And we would talk about the industry and how, like, jacked up it was and stuff like that. And then at the time, she was coming out of a startup um, that she was the creative, uh, like, a chief creative officer of. And I was leaving my job. So I had worked... Um, for the last 10 years, it's kind of like a media executive. And I was working at places like Al Jazeera America and like Fusion. And then I was at ESPN and Disney. And so those are all really interesting experiences and like fun stuff, like what I call the corporate years of my life. Um, and, you know, but it was cool, but it's, it's, you know, sometimes you just get this itch to do more and to do things faster. So like there's one thing, you can, there's things you can definitely do that you can't do anywhere else at Disney. And that was a really interesting and fantastic job. It was a really weird three years of my life, but a really cool one. Um, but after that, I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I do want to still make a mark on things and change things and work a little bit more directly around a lot of the social problems. A lot of my work revolves around um, looking at justice and equality and, you know, making the world a better place through diversity is, you know, one of my big things and making sure that we all have the opportunities to participate. So, you know, we talked about that and we talked about creating, um, you know, something. And then Mitsu was like, hey, we should do a game studio. And I was like, yeah, girl, whatever. Like, you know, because we're French. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it sounds great, but are we really going to do this? Nah, whatever. 
And so we were talking about, what are we going, is it a VR game, whatever. Like, she was talking to other people. It was just kind of, it was one of many things. I had other friends trying to recruit me for their startups. I was like, meh, okay, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then, um, through the grapevine, a little bird of ours who was working with HBO knew that they were looking for an insecure game. And they were looking for a studio to develop it. And most game studios tend to be very heavily white and male. And so they were looking at, like, we weren't even a thing yet. Uh, but we got reached out to, and they were like, hey, do you want to pitch uh, for the insecure game? And we were like, uh, is, that a, is that a choice? Do we? Right. We're not saying no. Like, so we were like, all right, well, you know, we're not really together or anything yet. But let's, let's put together a pitch. And, you know, it's a good first try. Like, whatever. We'll, we'll see what happens. Long story short, they bought it. Then we went, oh, no, we have to have a company. <laughs> got a company together. <laughs> then a pandemic broke out. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, yeah, it collapsed. Yeah. So we were like, oh, God, this is never going to happen. We're going to fail. Ah. And we had to, like, regroup. We ended up going through, like, tech stars and, like, fully rebooting the company, getting a whole new team together, fighting for funding, which is a whole other thing, um, getting that up and then, like, you know, run into the finish line to try to drop the game before the end of the show. Because uh, at that time, Issa decided they, they weren't sure if they were going to go for a season six. And then they decided that season five was the last one. So we went, oh, no, okay, got to get it out now. Like, now or never, let's do it. And so, you know, through <laughs> we pushed and pushed and pushed and got an early access version out to the market, which is now on the uh, App Store. Wow, as of today, as of the day that we're recording this, um, January 28th, it is currently on Android now as well. So we're at iOS and Android uh, currently out. And so you can play that game. And then we are also part of uh, Niantic's Black Developers Initiative. So we're creating a very fun prototype uh, around the same like rap rhyme mechanic that we created for Insecure. Um, and that prototype, uh, <laughs> it's funny, we were like, the prototype feels like space femme energy frequently inspired by Sailor Moon. So it's a kind of like open world rap battle game that we're working on next. But um, yeah. So those are those are two things. We have a working studio. I now co-own a video game studio, which was not a place I saw my life going, but here we are. And uh, yeah, it's been a journey. It's been a really tough one in a lot of ways, but also really rewarding and interesting. And um, yeah, we just kind of, it's weird to think about, because we're still very much in the middle of it, that we've actually made history a few times. With the first All Women of Color studio, the first game studio from All Women of Color that raised more than a million in seed funding, like... We've done a lot. Uh, the first, I think, licensed game based off a of black woman's IP. Uh, I need to still back check that just to make sure that I'm not overlooking someone else's work. But uh, yeah. there's a lot of firsts that we're, we're pioneering. And that's a, it's a tough, scary, weird place to be a lot. But um, also really fun and rewarding. So that's where we are in like this messy middle of growth um, and trying to figure out the direction of the studio, how we grow the game, how we grow the base, what we do. And that's, you know, but we did it. It shipped. So milestone one achieved. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a milestone. So. <laughs> yeah. I did not I know game development was this expensive. Because like, that is, that's what people are always like, why aren't there more blacks in game development? I was like, do you understand what it's like here? It is <laughs> Everything is on fire all the time. And it's super expensive to actually do anything. So it's like, it's, it, it makes total sense. Um that we're not as well represented in games as we are in other areas. And again, that's that representation is not great. We still have a lot of firsts all over the place, though, like a first black anime studio in Japan. Um, there are, you know, black celebrities and actors and people who like all of these different things, but there's not tons and tons. Uh, but in games, it's like, you know, it's less than 2% uh, 
of the of video game developers identify as black, and that's globally um, according to IGDA. So it's in terms of who they're polling and everything else like that, less than two percent. So it is a really really tough um, environment to be in in general uh, for anyone as a developer, and then. For those of us who are of color, it's much worse. I mean, you don't see very many women running studios or in the C-suite. So we were just, we are breaking boundaries left and right over here. Um, and, you know, in an ever-changing technological environment, in an ever-changing world, it is just, it's, it's, it's been a journey. It's yeah. been a journey. And I'm so excited you said it's on Android. I did download it on my iPad um, a few weeks ago and played it, but... It now, literally now is out today, phone. so... Yes. Go ahead and drop. Our... Go for it. It's in the Google Play Store. You can also uh, just drop me a note. <laughs> Hello at Glow Up Games. Latoya at glowup.games. If something's going wrong, just let me know. <laughs> I love that know. first one. We'll go figure out how to fix it. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, please, please let I me know. know. I already played a little bit of it and I really, it was really fun. It was kind of challenging though. I was just like, oh, like I got to pick the words. Like I felt like I was playing um like Dance Dance Revolution, but with words. And my brain had to feel like think really like quickly, like quicker than I've had to do in a long time. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like this is <laughs> like, that's how we want you to feel. <laughs> it was fun. Like got my adrenaline up. Like it was it was really fun. I, I love it. I love it. I love hearing that. Yeah. So yeah, so we pioneered this new mechanic for it. So that with the thing you're playing, we called Mirror Beats. And it was because, you know, all of us were fans of rap. Um, you know, I don't know if you know Samus. Um Yes, I do. I want to have her on the show eventually. You want to have her on the show? You know, that's our homegirl. So Nango is our audio director. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and Nango wrote all those raps. Come on the show. <laughs> and Nango did. Yeah. Like, we all had to fly out meet Issa. It was so nerve-wracking. Like, we were pitching the game, and we had to show her a build. And, like, she's reading all of the writing. Because at, at the time, I was the only writer. Now, we have a whole bunch of people on the project. But at the time, I was the writer. So she's reading all my writing. I'm, like, biting my nails. Like, oh, God, does Issa like it? Does Issa like it? And then... We got through. She laughed. I was like, whew, okay, we're doing good. And then Anango was like, um, she's like playing mirror beats. And I was like, oh, God. I'm like, I know that feeling. It's okay. We're okay. We're right here. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, this was really a, honestly, a homegirls project. Like, me, me too. Um, we had some other friends involved in the beginning that left. Um, and then we also had Anango, who's been, like, basically, like, a sub-founder. The way that she normally tells the story is that, um, you know, I hit her up. Because we had met at, like, a Kickstarter thing. So we have been friends mm-hmm. for a few years before that. And um, nice. she was like, you hit me up like, hey, we're doing a game about insecurity. You want to do the music? And she was like, hell yeah, I'm down. And then she's like, yeah. And then you disappeared for like eight <laughs> months. And I was like, yeah, that was getting the funding. That was trying to get money to make this game. Um, and then I came back like, hey, you still interested? <laughs> and so, um, so Nango actually spent uh, an entire year basically like trying to figure out how to translate her bars and just the whole concept of rap and getting better at rap and what rap and rhyme schemes actually mean and creating this system that allows for like contextual matches of words which doesn't actually exist uh before we made it and so like again most games like you said it feels like ddr right most games like this are rhythm action so that means you're like tapping 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 in time but it's it's not matches that have to make sense it's not matches that are pulling correctly or make sense in a context that's much harder and so we spent basically a whole year just trying to build that and make it work and make it feel good so that when you were actually rhyming, that you felt like everything was meaningful. And that was really, really tough. That was like one of the hardest things to nail. And then once we got that, like there, <laughs> so the, the version that you can play now was like a very small version of like the, the grandiose vision that we had for all these different battle modes and all sort of cool stuff. 
um, that will be in like subsequent releases. So the fun part about running a free-to-play game is it's a live game, so we can always just push an update. So when stuff is ready, we'll start seeing more words, more word packs, more guests, more cool stuff. So, but yeah, but Samus, uh, if you want her on the podcast, I will let you. Samus is also a Sailor Moon fan. So I will happily let her know to talk to you about this podcast. We work together every day. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. Yeah, I'm such a fan and would definitely love to have her on. I don't know. I don't think I've ever reached out. So this would be great. Um, yeah. And that's so cool. That makes sense why I like all the music in the game too. I'll be like, hey, for dinner. Yeah. Um, Issa's other company. Yeah. So Issa actually came in as an investor to the company, which was really awesome and a great like vote oh, confidence. Awesome. Um, as well. So I mean, we've got some really cool investors. Um, but Issa put some money in, and then we also um, were able to work with some of her other portfolio companies, like um, Radio. And Radio is like her deal with Atlantic Records, and like you know, like Young Baby Tate's on there, and some other folks. So mm-hmm. and Baby Tate's been cool on the show. Stuff. It's just like you know, how do you do a contract deal? in video games with musicians like it's just a very different all the models are really different you gotta like try to figure out what works um and especially for a game like this where you know there's not normally if a artist is in a video game it's like a feature like the way that you know uh travis scott was in fortnite right Mm -hmm. and so you kind of like pay for them like as if it's a concert and they come in and they might be like an unlockable character that you can play but like that's kind of it and like our process was very different and so figuring out kind of like what makes sense in this process and what feels fair is like the big one yeah what do you say makes a good game um that's a really subjective question i mean because again what is what is good i mean right. I, I say this as an artist like i'm not saying this to be pedantic around your question no that makes that sense because like there's a lot of stuff that i enjoy that is not good let me tell you that right now and i know <laughs> it's not good and i enjoy it anyway i enjoy really short games but i know other people are like if it's not like super long it's not worth my money and I'm like, yeah, no, I want, like, something that can be done within a few days. It's about <laughs> who you are as a player. And, like, you know, like, personally, I'm not a big fan of stuff like um, uh, like the runner games that are really popular right now. So, like, the high heels one and you click, click, but that makes tons of money. So, it's like, you know, what right. is what is good, right? And it's like, are you making a, an art, a piece of art? Are you making something for people to enjoy themselves? Are you making just a beautiful space for people? And, um so I'm into a lot of indie games. Just like I was in indie films when I was doing movies and TV. I still am. Um, because there are the big blockbusters that are fun and exhilarating and love to play. I grew up playing a lot of fighting games. So I love Tekken, Smash Brothers. Like those are my big ones. Uh, Soul Calibur. Um, I'm like a big fan of like fighting games. And I also like RPGs. Like those are my, those are my big things. I like story. And so um, I'm not really into like visual novel style things, but... As I was building this game, I ended up developing a lot more respect and affinity for visual novels and the creation and the way in which you uh, create characters that people are designed to kind of fall in love with and stand for and become fans of. Um, and so, like, and that's a that's a gift. Like, it's very hard to actually do that to create that kind of fan connection with your characters. In the same way that, like, you know, I was looking at uh, Jay Ellis's uh, page recently, and he said he was in an airport and a woman smacked him for what he did to Issa in season three. Yeah. And I was like, that is so extra. Like, obviously he's an actor. He's not really Lawrence. Um, but that's how passionate people feel about their favorite characters. So like, that's, that's, a, that's a, that's a high bar. And then sometimes it's like, you know, um, I realized like somebody had been asking me something and I realized, I'm like, man, I've been playing Link, the Legend of Zelda for 30 years now, <laughs> for like more than 32 years. I have been Link for 32 years. 
every few years there's a new game and wow. I play Link. And so like, you know, most recently me and my son were playing uh, Breath of the Wild and Hyrule Warriors. Um, we were playing that together, but I was like, wait a minute, I have been playing as Link for like 32 years. Like how, how has this happened? I cannot believe this has happened. It's um, wild. It is super wild. When I think mm-hmm. about like just the length of time of that relationship. And so, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's just a fascinating thing. And so, you know, when you build any game, <laughs> I'm learning, it's about enjoyment. Like, think about how many people enjoy Tetris. Tetris doesn't have any characters. Tetris is about what you are doing, um, you know, in your yes. life. Right? Tetris, Tetris is yourself. Sorry, I'm going to try to, I realize that there's a bunch of notifications about to go off. So I'm going to try to silence my notifications. Here we go. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so Tetris is about your life, right? Um, um, so Tetris is, Tetris is has no characters, but one of the world's most beloved games, right? Um, the games that I tend to favor are a little bit all over the map. Like, I felt very, very hard for Persona 5. I had never played a game like that before. I never played any kind of like time management, advanced level RPG, a JRPG. But um, one of the things that... Uh, one of the things that I think is just really interesting is um, a game like Persona, which is so layered and so interesting. And they've been building games like this for 25 years. Like this is Persona 5 um, that I started playing. And then I played the Royal and all the different offshoots of it. Um, but it's also such a beautifully crafted game. And like that, you know, I have loved all kinds of games. I loved Final Fantasy X, which again, people are like, oh, that's a girl's game. Um, number one, no. <laughs> like, did you look at how many sales that thing did? No, everybody thing. played that game. And Ten Two had a female-led cast, not necessarily. Anyway, it's a whole other thing. Um, but I loved that game, and I, you know, Stan loved Yuna Titus, like loved that whole thing. But I didn't immediately turn around and replay it the way that I did with Persona. Like Persona, I put 120 hours in to beat that thing, immediately turned around and redid it because I was like, oh, I missed all this stuff. Like, that is a next-level layer of craft to get that much fandom to, to, to really be able to build out a game like that. Um, other games that I love. So I love stuff like Spiritfarer. Um, we started playing that, and that's like a cozy game. It's a game about death, and I didn't really think going into it that I would like it as much as I do, but I love that one. Uh, what else am I playing right now? I'm playing, uh, oh, I'm playing Boyfriend Dungeon from Kit Fox. And this, this is why I'm saying um, good I- I, mean, I want to. I mean, need to play that game for a while. <laughs> yeah, but Boyfriend Dungeon is fun, and so it's like, and one of the things it's what is the game doing for you? Because video games have a different relationship, I think, than other types of media, where like, yeah, it can be escape, but it's also like mood management, time management. There's different things that you're doing when you want to tap into a game space, and so you know, there was a while in Persona when like the pandemic was at its height that I would just go and sit in the bar in uh, Kichi Joji in Persona the Royal. Um, and just like sit and have a drink because I couldn't do it in the real world. So I would just go sit in this jazz bar in Persona after a long day and have, I would like make a drink at home and have a drink in Persona and listen to the jazz music because I couldn't leave my house. Um, And people, a lot of people found that expression through Animal Crossing, but I found it through Persona. Um, Boyfriend Dungeon, I love because it's a game that, just to be really frank, like, you know, it's a little too mature for the kids to play with me. And so I normally uh, <laughs> go get high 
on like a late night and just go sit in that dungeon and battle 80s nostalgia stuff like flip phones and record players and listening to like the really great soundtrack that they put together and slashing stuff with very cute swords I'm romancing. <laughs> it's a very interesting and weird game. And again, not my usual thing because it kind of um, falls under like dating sim as a category, which I wouldn't normally consider. But again, with that one, um, I was like, you know what? Why not? My friend had it and I was playing it at her house. She was like, just play it to relax. And I was like, this is good. Same reason I play Katamari. Play it to relax. Like, you know, just vibe out for a little bit and not think about things. Um, so there's there's different reasons of what would make a good game. I think it's the connection that is between the game and the player is the biggest thing. Um, and how people feel about it. Because there's lots of games that I don't like and I'm not very interested in that have fostered deep connections with their players. And there's games that sit in your head for a while. There's games that you can't wait to get back to because you're trying to do things. There's games that you do to instill a sense of calm or ritual into your life. There's a lot of different reasons why you pick up any kind of game. And so, I don't know, it's, it's hard to put like good or bad labels on just about any game because it's really about what you bring to it. That's my perception as a developer these days. <laughs> I think as a critic, that was a lot more like, oh, this game sucks or this game is great or this game would be great if. And now I'm like, all games are little miracles. <laughs> little, uh, the, going through the process of getting one, I was like, all games are little miracles. It's just oh, a miracle find you. Is this something that resonated with your spirit? <laughs> if not, there's a thousand other games that want your attention. So go with that. It's funny. I think you would ask about a Sailor Moon game. Do you know there? You know there's the arcade one, right? Um, like the Street the Fighter app one, or like the Sailor V one. The Street Fighter one. I forget which one. I forget yeah, where it's Sailor v. It's there's the one a where, like, few. Walking around like it's like the Simpsons, basically the old arcade Simpsons, where like you're yeah. through and you're like beating them up with the different Sailor Scouts. So like I was playing that recently. That was fun. I say recently, it was like three years ago, pre-pandemic. Um, but I was playing that, and that was fun. That was ridiculous. But Sailor Moon deserves a JRPG. It deserves a JRPG. Oh, also, I'm going to go back on what I just said. So I was like, oh, no, there's no such thing as a bad game. Oh, yeah, I lied. Um, the anime spinoff games, the publisher knows who uh, they are, and they should be ashamed. These things yeah. are terrible. A lot of those are terrible. I've tried so hard to play those games, and I've always been disappointed. So... I'm going to say those are bad games. <laughs> I'm like, can you please put an iota of care into the game that you craft? I was just, I was coming from the perspective of like people pouring years of their lives and trying to make a really good experience for the players and something interesting and dynamic. Um, and that is not what happens a lot of times with the anime licensed games. And so I have not enjoyed those. Cash grab. Yeah. I'm not cat, total cash grab. I'm like, these games are whack. The mechanic is whack. Also, this is whack. So I would love a really great Sailor Moon JRPG. Like, if Atlas Studios, who makes Persona, was like, we're going to do a Sailor Moon game, I would be sending them money monthly. I would, I would be like, just put me on a subscription. Like, what do you, just give me all the content that you could possibly do. Like, what, what is this thing? I want those twists and turns. I want all of that uh, to be there. So if they're, you know, don't put me in charge. Sailor Moon would be good. <laughs> it would either be that or like, uh, you know, an intergalactic battle mm, game like Metroid. Have little elements of that. Or maybe a little bit more like Kingdom Hearts where they kind of blend a couple different genres together where like, yeah, you've got this main core story, but then you can also come off and do these battle sides or these other things. Um, but yeah, Sailor Moon as a game has so much potential. And the beat-em-up was fun, but That's I feel like there's a I lot more. That's how I feel, too. Really yeah, that was going to be my next question about a Sailor Moon game. But there actually has been a um, an JRPG, but um, a lot of the games aren't available in the United States unless you have like an emulator. 
or like a Super Nintendo, Japanese Super Nintendo. <laughs> and so, but yeah, but it's called Another Story. And I played it a little bit and it's good. And I'm actually planning to play it um, all the way through. I never finished it um, this year. I got an emulator. And so that's going to be really exciting. But yeah, it's there's just like hasn't been a new game, though, since I want to say the 90s or very early 2000s. And none of them have been released in the United States. But I have heard of the beat 'em up, though, and I want to play that. I've never played it. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's a beat 'em up. It's fine. Yeah. But I mean, like, also, I feel like there's just. There's this idea in the United States, and I used to get really, you know, back in my otaku days. I don't think they call it otaku anymore. Now they, they say all kinds of other stuff that we didn't, yeah. we didn't call ourselves before. Um, and then I heard on TikTok, it's old taku. If you say otaku, they know what you're old. And I was I like, that. that is accurate. So accurate. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. And I was like, all the anime that I like is like 15 years old at this point. But, um, you know, um, I think one of the things that suffered with the United States manga market and what was going on with it um, was the uh, this idea that the only market for cartoons in the United States was going to be um, marketed at children or marketed at teenagers and as a result they didn't bother really importing a lot of the stuff that um, allows you to grow on fandom so as you know in Japan they have um, a very focused media mix and there's essentially comics for everyone there's you know like my favorite genre is jose um, which is you know older women's past sojo right we're into yeah. the um so jose and so that's ayazawa that's um oh my lord erica sakura sakurazawa <laughs> man I'm, I'm sorry i'm like digging my memory banks at this no time. you're good i know i watched um red nana a few years ago and um peach girl i watched last year yeah peach girl is peach girl is good it's one of those things where you're like you're brown skin and you're watching that and it's a it's an experience um yeah. nana is definitely one of my favorite one of my favorite pieces of art period about female friendship ayazawa is nana yeah. that's another one of the big big influences i think i have a nana poster in my room somewhere um that that was a hell of a journey and she never finished it which is also making it more elusive around they're like yeah nana fantastic fantastic piece of work um and again these strong stories of, of female friendship in the way that like um alana ferrante's napoleon uh napoleon novels about you know the two girls growing up in uh, mussolini's italy like those are fantastic stories but one is like oh this is literature and another one like oh it's comics but i'm like no no it's the same it's the same stuff um and really good stuff so you know uh where was I going with that otaku story? I was like, mm -hmm. it's an old otaku. And, oh yeah, the Japanese media mix. So it's a very different, like there's levels of things for different people. And in the United States, they always try to filter it down to like children. And so they never gave fans or the space, the space to grow that it needed to, right? I remember going to Otakon. Like, I think we stopped going to Otakon when I was, Otakon's like the big, anime convention on the east coast um one of the big ones boston i think i mean not boston no, no, no. Um, otakon baltimore. is in baltimore baltimore mm -hmm. so i went to otakon for years in baltimore katsukan was in dc which um i also went to for quite a few years um there is a big one in boston but i don't remember what it's called and then there's dragon con in atlanta and those are the big east coast ones but um so i would go to otakon for many years and i think i stopped when i was like 25 or 26 because at some point, it's like, you know, all the new stuff that's coming out was like either very moe, which is not my thing. Uh, it was super fan servicey. Um, 
and very, very cutesy and like all the exaggerated parts of like the nuance that I liked from older stuff, the, like the grittier stuff. And then two, I was just kind of like, you know, there's only so many high school dramas that I can really get into. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 26 now. Like <laughs> all these decisions have been made. And so like there's great stuff like Kimi Wapeto um, that became like a live action with Matsujan that was translated here as uh, Tramps Like Us. I think Tokyo Pop did it. But uh, there's very little Jose that gets translated and brought over here. Um, Erika Sakurazawa, I discovered her because I was just walking around an anime convention and they had this book called The Aromatic Bitters. Bitters are, you know, used in cocktails. So I was like, okay, clearly this is made for someone a little bit older. And I liked the sophistication and the interest of what they were covering. But in general, the buyers were not purchasing those things and it kind of like, you know, pulled the bottom out of the market. Um, and you see that because you see this in a lot of art forms from, you know, comics to video games, this idea that um, the core audience is going to be children and it really stifles the creativity. Like before um, anime and manga, before I got really into it, because I think the first anime I ever watched was, again, what was on Adult Swim, which like I think uh, Vampire Hunter D was the first one I like saw saw. Um, yeah. After Sailor Moon, it was uh, Vampire Hunter D. But in between that, there was this whole movement on MTV called Liquid Television that I love. Like, that was such a huge influence in my life. And that was Aeon Flux. That was Daria. Um, you know, Beavis and Butthead first, and then Daria came later. Uh, that was The Head. That was this really great series called The Max, which was one of my favorites. Um, and these were, again, like, comics with very adult ideas. So later, when you discover, like, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, later when you can go and look at stuff like mouse you realize that these are really complex things and now the world's caught up now it's like oh the world is run essentially by marvel <laughs> and comic book movies run the box office um and you, you see these things uh, but you realize that there's a lot of depth that you can get into um in these art forms that for years was just stifled because gatekeepers thought it was for kids yeah yeah exactly and now they're like, oh, this is actually could be for adults too. And actually, like, oh, like even like Sarah the Moon, like we were saying before, like the first few episodes is like, oh, like you have like a woman like turning her head like the exorcist, like <laughs> kind of, kind of rather crazy. Yeah, but yeah. also like the idea of like what do girls like? Like remember, like we came back to that conversation right. in the beginning of like Sailor Pretty Soldier, right? That I can be like Sailor Moon, like toward the end. Especially toward Sailor Moon S, I just remember turning my insides out. Like, it was so rough. And then they do the general hero's journey. It's interesting because I was, like, helping my son through uh, Avatar. So my son, big yeah. fan of Korra, big fan of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. And um, so for him, as an eight-year-old, this is the first time he's watching kind of, like, somewhat mature content. And it was the first, like, I had to sit and explain to him one day because, like, he was crying, crying. He watched the episode. And I had explained the concept of sacrificing yourself for someone else mm. and he just did not like you know he's eight he doesn't have a concept of that yet he's like why why would you do this why why and i was like because you want someone else to live and i just remember like i was watching him like tears streaming down his little face but i was like that is exactly the moment i was in when i was watching sailor moon s <laughs> and like you're getting to the yeah. end and like all the sailor scouts are falling and it's just Usagi. and i'm really yeah one of the clearest memories of the series right it's just Usagi at the end. And she wins. She defeats the battle. And so I'm, I don't remember what voice that was. I was like, you did it. 
Right? What's, I don't remember exactly what happened. It's been a few years since I watched it, so I don't remember exactly what happened. Like, But there was some kind of voice there that was like, you did it. And Usagi starts crying. And she's like, yeah, but I'm alone. Right? All her friends had died on the way. And that yeah. was such a real ass. I was like, I was crying. I'm crying now thinking about it. I was like, oh, no, sorry. Right? Yeah, I'm about to cry. Yeah, I mean, because it was, it was such a moment, right? Because you're watching all your friends be like, okay, this is it. And I mean, like, that's such a common trope in literature i just finished another fantasy series where it's like you know you got that trope where it's the end and everybody's got to come up for the final battle and your friends start falling like that's part of it but i I think it it hits different especially like the first time you see it especially looking at again the depths of the friendships that were bonded by the end of sailor moon you feel like you love and you know these people and so when they get by it's a whole other thing it's just like what do you mean sailor mercury went down what do you mean (laughs) Right, like it was just, and like the way it all happened was just, oof, oof, chilling. But again, yeah. like it was interesting seeing my son have that moment for the first time, because that moment for me was definitely in Sailor Moon. I was sobbing, sobbing at the end of S, and you know I felt too sad. He's like, yeah, I'm alone. Yeah, I did it, but I'm alone. What was it? What was it for? Right. Was he crying for Avatar or Sailor Moon? He was crying for Avatar. He has not got to okay. that part in Sailor Moon. When we get to that part in Sailor Moon, it's going to be problems. <laughs> so like, yeah. we're we're still on like first season episode one. We don't know we don't know Tuxedo Mask's true identity yet. So like he is, oh my God. He is in for a ride. But yeah, but we are in for a ride for a little while after this. But yeah, I mean, but it's it's one of those things that again, just think about it. The uh, creator of Sailor Moon. I was reading some interviews fairly recently because you know now, like I said, now I'm an adult. Right. Like, I don't think um, I can underscore how strange this is that, you know, I grew up in all these dream worlds that other people created that felt very far away. And now, like, I create them for other people and it's weird and it's cool. And I look at now the creators as like people and not just like, you know, these, these, the, the, goddesses. <laughs> yeah, like these, you know, these avatars of awesome where you're like, oh, wow, he's all, I'm just a big fan, right? And then you realize, like, you know, there's personal struggles going on in the back while you're doing these things and you're putting a lot of yourself into the work. And, like, so, um, what's the name of the creator of Sailor Moon again? Uh, Takauchi. Ayuchi, that's right. Mm -hmm. Um, So she, and she's married to the guy that does Hunter by Hunter, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes. And so um, she was given an interview, and I love that whole idea. I think I heard it, I went to a lecture series one time called Sojo Power which was about um, oh, yeah. perception of women um, in Japan. Did you see that? Like, I didn't, but I'm familiar with Sojo Power, the um, website. I don't know if that's they hosted that or not. No, I think it's a, it was like a Japanese researcher. I still have it. I have like old paper files because I'm old. So I have the flyer from like the Japanese Cultural Institute that hosted this lady. And she's a researcher. I think the right. book, let me look and see if the book is the same. But anyway, um, so in Sojo Power, they kind of point out all the different ways in which you define masculinity, femininity, um, societal norms and cultural norms through manga and what these things were really saying at the time they were created, um, who they could be and what they could be and what it was for. And so, you know, when the creator is talking, you're saying things like, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have many friends. So I created girls I wanted to be friends with. Like that's some profound (laughs) stuff right there. Because ultimately, like, why do we create any kind of art? And that longing for connection, um, you hear it all throughout Sailor Moon, even through, like, you know, Asagi being a brat. Like, think about how amazing that is on its face. Like, 
when you create characters now and you have to like go through the pitch process and you you know talk to folks about it and try to get support for it, try to get funding for it, they generally don't like unlikable characters. Same thing happened, I think, with Korra, uh, where Korra is like a very brash um, character. She's kind of bratty. And people were like, well, you know, is she, she going to be unlikable? And it's like, well, yeah, but she's also in the same mode as... Um, my son is the Avatar fan. I am not, so I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, Zuko. He's like, Zuko. He's, he's, she's in the same vein as Zuko, and everybody loves Zuko. So why is it different? Because she's a female. And, you know, those things are profound because it says what society expects of women. And so in a lot of ways, Sailor Moon is totally transgressive in many, many different ways where you have, like, the person who is the hero is not, like, the calm, dedicated priestess Ray. It's the crybaby bad student right and again in a society that's about achievement right especially in like you know uh pre-bubble post-war japan um this bratty silly frivolous kind of ridiculous girl who has to figure out you know through trial and error over many many years and many battles who she actually is and to show that side and to say this girl too is laudable as a hero and, you know, there's this whole conversation in literature um, around this whole idea of who can be a hero and specifically who can be a tragic hero. Like there's a lot of literature around it. Um, the most famous conversation around this is Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman, where they talk a lot about um, Ken Willie Loman, who was just a, a regular everyman, a regular person. Um, the debate in literary circles for years was, can you call this person a hero? He is not majestic. There's not anything about him. That's extraordinary. We're not talking about the Greek pantheon. We're talking about some regular nebbish salesman in a play about an unremarkable guy in Brooklyn, right? And it's, uh, one of the interesting things is that debate is, yes, can a common person be a hero? And the assumption frequently is no, you need to have something else. You need to be elevated from your common state, right? And you know, that same thing happens with Sailor Moon. She gets powers, right? Given to her by this cat. And now she can be a guardian for justice, but she didn't change overnight. She was still the same bratty, crybaby, ridiculous person, but had to grow. And that, in its own way, is super revolutionary. Yeah, it's definitely, that was beautifully broken down. And I completely agree. Like, the show is just so revolutionary in so many ways and just like so ahead of its time. And yeah, the things they do with like women characters where they give you a little bit of every kind of personality like you mentioned earlier and also like putting the most unlikely hero like she's not the smartest one she's not the you know the one with the most like quote-unquote leadership qualities but you know she keeps everyone together she has other qualities about her that makes her a strong leader yeah and then again like that process of growth right usagi again i forgot Usagi is collapsing the first few battles. Like the first, yeah. like literally the first one she wins by crying. <laughs> like she had no skills, right? <laughs> but this idea of like honing yourself and being developed into the leader that you are, into the confidence that you are, which again, as a teen girl, how revolutionary is that to see that? That you can grow into right. better versions of yourself. That you're not defined by who you are right now. It's a big deal. And I think people forget that, especially in, you know, all the new heroism and especially like the new tropes with women where it's like, um, they have like all these perfect women in pop culture now. Like, you know, you're a perfect scientist. Uh, like she's, oh, this girl is gorgeous and she's a, uh, she's an astrophysicist and 
she also does all this stuff, but she's also not the main character. She's a bit part on some other man's journey. I'm thinking about Star Trek, but anyway. Um, all these people who are in the movies, they have five lines and they keep moving on. And so, yeah, let's go ahead and center a bratty, slightly immature crybaby with bad grades because she too can be somebody great. Yeah, I completely agree. And it was a great message to share. Um, Question for you. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to be as knowledgeable as you are in creating games and I guess everything else? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely have advice. By the way, I looked up Sojo Power. So number one, did not realize that was a website that I need to be reading. (laughs) I just like, I clicked on it and it's like, they were like, Sailor Neptune is based on Jenny Shimizu. I was like, what? Oh, hold on, I'm on a podcast. I can't go look at this. I got to come back. Um, But there is a, uh, no, there's an actual lecture series um, from, um, I will find this woman and send it to you. But yes, Sojo Mango Girl Power I think it's this one, 2006. It's about the right time. Um, Dr. Masami Toku of California State University, who was doing a conversation called The Power of Sojo Manga, Its Value and Contribution to Visual Culture and Society, and talking a lot about like the perceptions of self that were um, immortalized, essentially, in comics, in comic form. Um, and even down to, like, she made a lot of... Um, uh, she made a lot of links to Japan's perception of self post-war and how like a lot of comics were about out the foreigners, this invading party and like how Japanese folks in the comics were taller than their oppressors that had different diction. Yeah. Like there was, there were a lot of nuances in the way in which visual language is constructed in manga that I was like, wow, like I never was able to look at Sailor Moon or any other work the same way after I saw that lecture. So that's what I was talking about. But, um, that's there. So anyway, sorry, you were asking me something. Oh, how do you get in? What do you do? Uh, <laughs> well, there's a very thin line between being a fan and being a creator. And um, very thin. Uh, and I would definitely say, like, I was literally the Sailor Moon era of my life. Um, when I was deep into it, when I was downloading all the stuff on the wire and torrenting, um, I had kind of, like, effed up and, like, well, I didn't F up. Like, I had a lot of family stuff going on in high school and I dropped out almost. Um, I graduated, but like barely. And which was really tough for like a former honor student. I kind of really fell. And I spent like a couple of years just kind of like, like, who am I? Like, I didn't go to college. Like, what the hell? I didn't, I'm not going to do anything. Like, I'm not going to be anything in life. Remember, this was like the, this was, oh, it was like September 11th happened uh, right after I graduated. So I graduated high school in 2001 in June. And then September 11th happened. Like, the economy was tanking, everything was tanking. And so I was like, man, oof, I'm going to be cutting subs at Blimpies the rest of my freaking life, right? <laughs> it's like, it's going to suck. And so I was sitting in this basement apartment that I was renting, this little room, and all I had was my computer. And I spent a lot of time just like binging manga and looking at comics, stuff like that. Uh, then I started blogging and putting my work out into the world. And from there, all kinds of stuff happened. And so... You know, I think my advice to young creators is to not be afraid of the thing that you're bringing to the world. There's always somebody that can do it better uh, than you, and that's intimidating. But let me tell you, one of the best ways that you can get around that is to think about the people who are doing it worse that you can't stand and are still making a bunch of money. And um, I don't say this just about myself. Octavia Butler, 
the grand dame of science fiction, the MacArthur wow. movie. Octavia Butler did the same thing. So if you read, uh, there's this great book called Conversations with Octavia Butler. It's on like a small academic press, but you know, I, I got it somehow. And um, she was talking about why she started writing sci-fi. And it was because she watched a horrible movie. She still remember the movie. It was called like Devil Girl from Mars. And she was like, this was so bad. I could do better. <laughs> and if that horrible movie Please. didn't exist, we wouldn't have Octavia Butler. Like I'm amazed. <laughs> Right. And like, you know, everybody as a creative goes through it. Right. Like Octavia Butler used to work at a box factory and she's like, I love working at a box factory because nobody was happy to be there. We don't have to pretend like it sucks. This job sucks. And I want to go home and write. But at some point, if you keep putting the work in to get good at your craft, something will happen for you. And at this point, like I said, I've been at this about 15 years um, and I've reinvented my career three or four times. So I went from nobody to a blogger from a blogger with a following to an actual paid writer, from a paid writer to a paid television and radio host. From there, um, I pivoted and did a night fellowship, went to Stanford. I hadn't graduated from anywhere. Now suddenly I'm at Stanford, went to Stanford, came out, started running media organizations, right? Ran out zero, went to ESPN, started to work with Disney. Disney taught me VR. Disney taught me AI. Like I got to work at Walt Disney. Like, yeah, I was, whoa. I never thought those things were my future when I was sitting there in that basement downloading Sailor Moon. But the funny thing is that my career turned out to be all the stuff that I thought I was wasting my time on, which was like comics and pop culture and talking to people on the internet, (laughs) doing ridiculous things. And that's my whole career. So I would say definitely if you're trying to get into these things to practice, do your craft and do it in places where people can see you because all kinds of things happen when you say yes to yourself. I love that. That is so true. Just like keep following your passions and you know go with the flow and things happen as far as you just keep doing things that make you happy um and like yeah and I, I mean like i kind of i'm a little bit for young creatives especially like look the world is hard especially if you didn't come from money a lot of people like when you get into these worlds you realize that like they have rich parents like that's how they can do this like we don't and if you don't you need to like understand like you need like another skill right like you need to be able to make money while you're doing these things and you know it's okay to um have a phase in your life where you're kind of just meh because those are the years in which you are actually like forming yourself it looks like right now especially with social media my lord like the way that it's gone everybody's in this highlight reel of like doing awesome everybody's got yeah, I just made $70 million on my NFT and like all this other stuff. Um, But for most people, you just want to have a good life, right? A good life is a life where you can feel Mm. like you're being creative, that you can support yourself, that you can do the things that you want to do, that you can positively contribute to society. That's all you're really trying to do. Take the pressure off yourself. You don't have to be some creator with 8 million followers and stuff like that. Like a lot of the people I loved from like, the Japanese street fashion years where I was getting imports of Eskawaii and egg and all those things. Those girls aren't famous now. They got regular ass lives, but you know, they impacted me and that's good enough. So to think about again, like how do you want your life to go and to be intentional about getting the things that you want from your life and being willing to change yourself to do hard things to get there. Like that's the best advice I can give. Everything that I've done that looks cool has been extremely difficult behind the scenes like the studio almost collapsed three times you know we, me and Mitsu always joke we almost died making this thing right like literally especially with the pandemic and everything like literal blood sweat and tears went into making this game this company 
And, you know, it's still not over. There's still many more things that we have to go do before we feel like we've done it, that we're stable, that we're, that we're doing things. Um, but that's how it is. It's just your life. And you can create your life any way that you want to create it if you're willing to put in the work. And that's, I think that's all I would say. Yeah, I love that. Which leads me to my next thing is, um, just like Sailor Moon had her, Sailor Moon says, phrase, at the end of every episode, what would your phrase be? Sailor Latoya says. Sailor Latoya says, life is an illusion. So go ahead and pick the one that makes the most sense to you. That's actually somebody else's quote, so I can't steal that. Let me think. Who do I want to say? Me. But yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the sailor thing would just be, uh, Sailor Latoya says, believe in yourself and be willing to put in the work to get to where you want to be. That's it. Love it. Yet. I completely agree. Definitely. It's what I live by as well. And just finally, what is next for you and where can people find you? All right. So you can find me on the internets as always uh, at Latoya Peterson on Twitter. I do talk to people who hit me up on Twitter. That's the best way if you want to reach me randomly. Um, I gave y'all my email because that's, if you're playing the game, something goes wrong. Just email me. <laughs> if you're playing a game and you like something, feel free to email me too. Cause you know, creators generally don't hear when people like stuff. They only hear when they hate it. So it's <laughs> helpful if you send things. Uh, works on almost everybody, by the way. Like I've met authors, famous writers, famous movie stars. And at this point, everybody you kind of hear the worst of it all the time. Um, but yeah, at Latoya Peterson on Twitter is the easiest way to come and reach me. You can find me on the internet. You can find us at glowup.games. You can now find us in the app store. And what's next? We're going to develop the second game. We're going to figure out how to make the first game even better. Like I really want to do some bigger like music crossovers and try to get some artists in to do like custom word packs and custom rap battles and just like getting the contract stuff together for that. And, you know, we fully intend to grow as a studio and to be able to keep hiring and to keep, you know, making jobs for people who want to be in these creative industries, but, you know, generally didn't have the shot before. So that's what I'll be doing. Raising my kids. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Love it. Yes. All those things are important. <laughs> and that sounds like so much fun. Um, and once again, I'm Victoria L. Johnson, host of the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast. And you can find me at it's old school on Twitter and Instagram. It's old school with a K. And you can find the podcast at Mooney's Club on Twitter and Mooney's underscore club on Instagram. Um, I'm also on TikTok at Sailor Victoria. And actually, we'll be posting some new videos soon. So uh, if you've been following me and you've seen that I haven't posted anything, you'll see that I will get back on that. And um, we also have merch at Mooney'sClub.com if you want to support. And thank you so much, Latoya, for coming on the Sailor Fan Club podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Bye, Moonies.